Welcome to Disability Matters with your host, Joyce Bender. All comments, views, and opinions expressed on this show are solely those of the host, guest, and callers. Now the host of Disability Matters, here's Joyce Bender. Hey, hello everyone. Welcome to the show. Special shout out to my close friend, Yoshiko Dart. Keep leading on there, Yoshiko. You are a great leader. Um, and before we get going, I also want to extend my thanks to our sponsors. And the lead sponsor is Hi Mark. Thank you, Hi Mark. You are just always there. Uh, and I also want to uh, thank AudioEye and Covestro. You know, it takes partners. It really does. It takes partners to do what we're trying to do as a woman living with epilepsy and the founder of Bender Consulting Services, I know it takes a family to get people hired. Um, and speaking of that, I want to tell you our show today. It's great and it's sad. It's great because we are honoring a national disability leader who her whole life has poured herself into fighting for disability rights for people and work very hard also for people living with intellectual disabilities. But it's sad because at the end of the year she's retiring, which is why I wanted to do this show now because I really wanted to acknowledge her for all the great things she has done and thank her. And Marsha Blanco, welcome to the show. Oh, hi, Joyce. It's great to be here. Well, Marsha, before we get going, I have to ask you this first question. How are you feeling about leaving Achieva? Oh, wow. Joyce, you ask the tough questions. Um, it's, it's, of course, with mixed feelings. I mean, Achieva has been for nearly 40 years, uh, like my third third child. Um, I, I love the organization. We are, of course, part of um, the ARC of the United States. I, I love uh, not only the field, but I, I really it's been such a privilege uh, for me to have the opportunity to lead in, in this field at, at this extraordinary time. I mean, you and I, uh, as contemporaries, um, recognize that in these mere uh, 65 years or so, how dramatically life has changed for people with disabilities. And again, I just feel so privileged to have been a part of that. And Joyce, you know me well enough. Uh, I'm going to remain involved. I may no longer be the president and CEO of Achieva, but I shall remain in very involved with the disability community. I know that. I had no doubts about that, and we wouldn't let you go, even if you wanted to, but I knew you would not want to. And this is a time we all have to stick together and work together um, as we're moving through different times. And so, of course, we need your wisdom and guidance so you can be sure we'd be keeping you involved. You mentioned Achieva at the beginning, um, but could you explain Achieva and the mission of Achieva to our listeners? And by the way, thank you, listeners throughout the world. You know, Sweden, I can't believe how many of you listen to the show uh, in Japan, so thank you very much. So you can tell them now what is Achieva. Uh, Achieva is the largest of the human service organizations in the greater Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania area. Um, we provide support for individuals with disabilities from birth uh, through early intervention programming. Those are physical therapists, occupational therapists, developmentalists uh, who work with little ones from uh, birth to three years of age. And, of course, what we're doing is really encouraging uh, families and teaching them how to do uh, their therapies on an ongoing basis to keep that little one as close to developmental norms as we possibly can. Uh, we have extensive respite supports. We have educational advocates who assist families uh, in achieving the best in education for their children. Um, we have uh, residential supports, um, apartment living, as well as um, two or as maximum three individuals uh, living together and creating a family in uh, communities throughout our area. 
We do have uh, vocational training, uh, which I hope we can talk about a little further in that we are in a major transition um, to vocational training, getting individuals' jobs, um, helping people to communicate, to participate fully in their local communities. Uh, We have a family trust with over 2,200 beneficiaries, and through the trust we manage uh, somewhere about $105 million in beneficiary funds, <clears throat> and those are for individuals to expend as they would wish while still protecting uh, their uh, opportunity to participate in, in Medicaid for their long-term supports. So we, we really run the spectrum of supports and services, and particularly um, our advocacy supports. We've always done a great deal of systemic advocacy, in uh, being plaintiff organization to close the last remaining state institution in southwestern Pennsylvania. We do. We spend a lot of time in Harrisburg. That's the state capital of Pennsylvania and in Washington, D.C., always believing that if we can't get the policies right at the top, then individuals uh, are not going to get the supports that they need. Well, you know, I want to go back to something you said uh, a little bit ago. The changes in vocational rehabilitation. Could you talk about that for a minute? Uh, Yeah, this is, of course, a a nationwide movement. And, Joyce, we uh, here at Achieva embrace it and are well underway now uh, to closing uh, what were sheltered workshops and instead engaging individuals in finding jobs and supporting them to make sure that the employer knows that we'll be there with anything it takes for as long as it takes for that person to be successful in their work. Um, For those who may be at retirement age um, or for a variety of reasons may not want to work, um, we are involving individuals in uh, all kind of community volunteer activities, and it, it's it's a it's just such an eye opener when you think about it. Uh, just as deinstitutionalization um, was initiated, and here in Pennsylvania and across the United States, that meant large, isolated, congregated, segregated uh, centers for individuals, sometimes as many as 1,200 people. In fact, that's how I started my career, uh, bringing people home to community supports from these large, isolated state centers. When you think about it, uh, sheltered workshops um, have been in existence for a long, long time, but typically uh, larger numbers of people, uh, all of whom have disabilities, uh, gather uh, together every day, do piecemeal work, uh, used to be uh, even below minimum wage, and that's really the last bastion of major segregation of people with disabilities. Um, As you well know, from the federal level, from the Department of Education to the Department of Labor to the Centers for Medicare and Medicaid Services, and Uh, Most recently, in the Obama administration, uh, the United States Justice Department uh, began to chip away uh, through regulation and, of course, litigation at these remaining uh, workshops where still uh, hundreds of thousands of people um, are in segregated settings. Uh, I was just so pleased when several years ago our board of trustees said we will no longer do this. Um, we want to lead in this field because we believe that disability is a, a distinction that really makes no difference. And so we began the process of uh, selling uh, those remaining um, buildings that housed shelters workshops. We have individuals doing a variety of wonderful things in the community. And I've got to say, though it's frightening particularly for older family members who have always looked at this as a security blanket where their son or daughter might come from 9 to 3 every day. Also giving, by the way, families a break. We, we understand all of that. But the only approach is person by person, family with family, um, to find out what that particular individual really wants to experience 
in their life, and then going out and finding that with them and paving the way for real, real community involvement. It's an exciting time. Yeah, I agree with you 100%. I agree with you so much. And what, what I want to get back to when you were talking about the institutions, I was shocked that there were correctional institutions that had people with disabilities segregated. I know my good friend Chris Griffin just changed that at Bridgewater um, and I, in, Connect, in uh, Massachusetts. But I mm-hmm. wanted to ask you, uh, in the United States, what is your opinion on how many institutions exist today? Well, the good news is there are really two types of institutions that we would talk about. One would be state-operated institutions. And we now have 18 states that have no state-operated institutions. Then we have private, what are called intermediate care facilities for people with intellectual and developmental disabilities. And we still have, um, in all of the states, some private ICFs. Um, uh, However, they are dwindling. Um, The truth is, when you talk with younger families, we don't have people going into institutions any longer. Uh, Youngsters are experiencing inclusion in school, and the last thing that they or their families could envision is then going into a large, isolated, or segregated facility. Um, So we don't have individuals going in. It's a much, much older population in the institutions that remain, and states continue. In fact, Pennsylvania will close... Uh, it's one of its last uh, institutions um, in in this next fiscal year. And, and which one would that be? That would be Embryville, out in sort of the eastern part of Pennsylvania. But it's oh yes, I know, am familiar with that. Now, what about Polk Institute? What about that? Polk is still operating. Um, its numbers are, of course, much, much fewer than the one-time 2,000 people who live there. Um, and it also is an older population. I will share that there is legislation in Pennsylvania circulating uh, right now for sign-ons um, that would legislate the closing then of the remaining <coughs> excuse me, four state centers in Pennsylvania. Uh, it's just under 800 people are left in these facilities. And at one time, there were probably, oh, I'd say they were close to 20,000 individuals. Oh, my goodness. Well, thank God we've made so much progress. Thank uh, God. You bet. And, and these yeah, are not know, easy. When we were, the, we Achieva were the plaintiff organization in closing uh, here in western Pennsylvania, the last uh, of, of our state centers, it took about five years of litigation and negotiations to eventually achieve um, a settlement agreement uh, for everyone then to come into community supports. And it was our dear friends at Disability Rights Pennsylvania who were our legal partners in that litigation. Yes, and I'm very proud to say I just joined their board. That's why I, I knew know, about what and you I could were not be more about. proud. I've been yeah. on that board. I've been. I'm still on several committees, and uh, as I told our executive director recently, uh, the board could not have chosen um, a better advocate and activist than Joyce Bender to be on that board. Oh, thank you so much. But um, it, it, you know what? It just takes everyone. This is something you can't do by yourself. It, it does take everyone. And I wanted, so you started your career working with uh, getting people into community centers. Is that what you mean? Uh, yes, but <clears throat> actually I, I grew up in a very, very small rural town in central Pennsylvania. And uh, living down street from us, and actually with my aunts and cousins, um, was my aunt's sister who had disabilities. And Palmer was just an inspiration for me from my earliest, earliest years. And we used to spend, um, I remember, rainy days in her bedroom. Uh, She collected pencils, and we would go over each and every one of hundreds and hundreds of pencils for which, you know, she had a story for each uh, pencil. And, you know, so I I grew up um, 
around people with disabilities. And, and so for me, it was just sort of natural that I would gravitate to this field. Well, you have been, I just think so highly of you, Marcia. So, well, you're very kind. Uh, you, and you have done so much. And, and, you know, I heard you speak once about how many things started here, right here in southwestern Pennsylvania, that people do not know. I mean, how many changes occurred for people with intellectual disabilities, with, uh, you know, working with developmental groups or whatever. I, I wonder, could you talk about that for a minute? Sure. Uh, I would begin with uh, the right to education, uh, now called IDEA, or the Individuals with Disabilities Education Act. You know, occasionally, Joyce, you need to step back and, and be a little reflective. And when I do so, one thing always comes to mind. Every child in the United States had the right to a free public education from the latter 1880s except for one group. Those were students with disabilities. Um, uh, parents would present their child to um, go to kindergarten or first grade, and districts were permitted to simply say, take your child home. He or she is not educable. Uh, leaving families, of course, in a tremendous dilemma. Um, and it took <clears throat> a lawsuit out of Pennsylvania, uh, two of the plaintiffs happened to have been uh, family members associated with Achieva. Um, Pennsylvania actually, because of the lawsuit, had the right to education uh, for all children uh, about two years prior to the federal government enacting legislation uh, providing this, I, I won't call it a right because it was a right for everybody else, the opportunity to go to school. When you think that it took almost 100 years, that goes back to 1975, almost 100 years for children with disabilities to be sitting at home rather than having the opportunity that every other child in this country had to a free public education. I mean, isn't that astonishing? It is astonishing. And are you meaning this is what came from this is IDEA? Correct. Correct. It was originally the Right to Education for All Handicapped Children's Act. Um, Pennsylvania, because of its lawsuit, um, preceded all the rest of the country in having this uh, right for and uh, opportunity for children. <clears throat> in fact, right here at my desk, I uh, have always had a photograph of uh, myself and the judge who made uh, that order in Pennsylvania. Uh, giving children the right to education. Wow. I mean, see, this is what I mean. People don't realize when it comes to some of these issues how so many things started right here, also in southwestern Pennsylvania, let alone in the state. And certainly deinstitutionalization. The Pennhurst State Center um, was litigated, um, very successfully by the Public Interest Law Center of Philadelphia. It was the first major um, effort at deinstitutionalization through the courts. That case went before the United States Supreme Court three times. <clears throat> the arguments, of course, varied each time, but the state was taking the position that the federal government could not tell the state what to do. And, of course, our attorneys were arguing that um, it was actually argued under the Rehabilitation Act um, that required that individuals have the opportunity uh, to experience a full life in the community. Three times before the United States Supreme Court, and I stood on the steps on each of those arguments, following each of those arguments, um, and, and I must say, um, while the arguments got more arcane um, through, through all of that litigation, uh, that was one celebratory day when the uh, United States Supreme Court um, agreed with our attorneys and upheld the federal district judge's 
order that Pennhurst be closed. Wow. This is yeah, what I mean. Was so many things yep. happened right here in Pennsylvania. Um, I, I agree. There's always been strong, strong leadership uh, among individuals, families, and, of course, uh, uh, advocates. Um, and, and miraculous things have happened. The first family support program in the entire country um, was based in Pennsylvania, and Achieva was selected as the uh, sort of trial organization uh, to, to get the bugs out of basic family support, providing families uh, with opportunities for respite, for therapies, for things that their children needed. Wow. So, yes, a well, lot has happened in Pennsylvania. And I tell you what, I just feel, again, such privilege and real pride in having been a small, small part of all of this. But it's um, when you think from institutionalization, from a lack of education, to where we are in these mere 60 to 65 years, I mean, it's just, it's astonishing. It really is. Yes, thank God, huh? Thank God. You bet. Well, you know, uh, Marcia, I don't think, you know, we're still working hard to improve, as you know, the employment of people with disabilities, which is horrible that 70% of Americans with disabilities are not even counted in the workforce. But I have to say that it is even worse for people with intellectual disabilities. And um, I don't think people realize, though, what people with intellectual disabilities endured in the early 60s and 70s. So, like, what was it like then? What was it like for someone with Down syndrome or any type of intellectual disability? What was it like? Well, you had, families had one of two choices. They could either take their child home with no supports or services, none, and not even an education, uh, or they could send a son or daughter, um, and Joyce, it, it, it still breaks my heart, um, sometimes directly from the hospital at birth. Uh, physicians uh, would fairly routinely advise families uh, to not bother taking that baby home. We had nurseries in these large institutions uh, for babies that were being sent there, uh, based on the professional advice that if you take this child home, it's going to ruin the rest of your family. Um, it, it just, some of this is so heartbreaking. My first uh, trip up to uh, Polk Center, um, because, frankly, it was Achieva and a group of moms, I think you know, uh, Jenny Thornburg, uh, Barb mm-hmm. Sistek, uh, Gene Isherwood, um, would get in a car with Bob Nelkin and drive to our state centers all over and expose the conditions. Um, Sometimes, even for me, the stench uh, in some of the uh, large bedrooms where there might be 30 people sleeping, just bed to bed to bed to bed. Um, The one that blew the roof off uh, uh, the large center here in in western Pennsylvania um, was that Jenny and her colleagues found people in cages. There were cribs, but they had large cribs for adults, and they had sort of roofs on them, um, just, you know, wooden slats. Oh, and that is so hard to believe. And people there all day. Um, just, I, I shudder to think about it. I don't know if any of your listeners have ever uh, seen the book, uh, Christmas in Purgatory, but that was uh, sort of the first book published by Burton Blatt that mm-hmm. actually showed photographs of what conditions were like in these institutions. Um, prisoners were treated much better than the individuals who were living there. Uh, God bless them, you know. Um, but think about it. Think how much has changed. And think, you know, I say something to folks in uh, onboarding who are coming into employment at Achieva, and I say that anybody who tells you that we absolutely know what we're doing in terms of community support today 
isn't telling you the truth. Because year by year, we're learning new ways of doing things, better ways of supporting people, listening to self-advocates and their hopes and desires, and then designing things around them instead of creating programs and putting people into programs. Do you know what I mean? Yes. Yes, I do know what you mean. And we have a long way to go. You know, when you hear these stories, Marcia, I often wonder if, as time went on, there was still this residual feeling about people with disabilities. You know, when you think about it, it's sort of like there was slavery, but then there was still all the segregation and the Voting Rights Act and everything. I often wonder what residual effect there has been on the unemployment of people with disabilities. You know, the thinking that you are inferior, the thinking of put the child in the uh, institution because they'll ruin your family. You have to wonder about that. Do you know what I mean? I, I surely do. And it's not by chance that in, um, for instance, our senior centers, it is difficult to integrate someone who has had a lifelong disability into a senior center. But you look at preschools, and children are totally acceptant of having a little one with Down syndrome or spina bifida or cerebral palsy uh, playing next to them. Think of the, the factor that now with inclusive practices in education, tomorrow's employers have grown up with people with disabilities. Mm -hmm. Older folks did not Mm -hmm. because of their peers, people with with disabilities, significant disabilities, were either in institutions or in the attic or the basement. Mm -hmm. And if you didn't have the opportunity to interact with and and know the joy of being around people with disabilities... um, then it's very hard to accept that. So we see huge differences in age. And so I look at the young people today uh, in school, and I look at someone seated next to them, and I think, you're going to be an employer in not that many years, and you've had that experience of having an education, growing up with, playing with um, a student with disabilities. I think it's going to make all the difference in employment. Yes, I, I do too, and I, I'm hoping that day comes soon because it has been just so hard for me to reconcile how this is possible. You know that people with disabilities have the highest unemployment of any protected class group. It's so hard to understand yeah. that, but I'm hoping that you're right. I'm hoping that, you know, with the newer generation that things will be different, and that's what I'm counting on happening. You, well, I you think know, Marcia. Other, I'm sorry? I'm sorry. Go ahead. Go ahead. I think there's one other uh, factor that is now working uh, to help people with disabilities to work. Um, that was always the fear of losing one's uh, Medicaid benefits for long-term supports. Mm-hmm. That's to say an assistant to uh, help someone get ready for work in the morning. Those are publicly funded through those services are publicly funded through Medicaid. Now, with things such as the pool trust, which uh, Achieva operates a large pool trust, you have the ABLE Act, which will allow people to have greater than $2,000 in personal assets and still be eligible for the government benefits that help to provide their day-to-day support. I think that's going to make a a huge difference. We know, I know, and you know, uh, a lot of people who could not work for fear of losing their long-term support. And oh, absolutely. Yes, mm-hmm. that ABLE Act is right now helping so many people that need a personal attendant. Um, and you know, Marcia, with the recent legislation that did not pass, what would happen now uh, in Pennsylvania, in your opinion, if there would be Medicaid block grants? Um, It would be disastrous for people with disabilities. Um, 
every national organization um, representing the interests of people with disabilities is clearly on record. Uh, either block granting or per capita um, blocking um, is going to affect people who rely on Medicaid, not only for their health care, but uh, as importantly for their long-term support. Um, the bill that has passed the House to uh, create um, a lot of, of changes, of course, to the Affordable Care Act um, would cut $800 billion from Medicaid over a 10-year period. That's the uh, Congressional Budget Office estimate. You cannot tell me that a massive reduction of that kind is not going to be very hurtful to people with disabilities. And block granting to the states is a particularly ugly thing to do. Because what does that do? It pits individuals with differing types of disabilities, children who are of low income, uh, pregnant women who are of low income, it pits those organizations against each other because there are only so many slices in the pie and all of these constituents would be fighting for a fair slice of the pie. Um, I, I just, I hold my breath and I hope that some of the governors that have accepted the additional Medicaid dollars um, available through the Affordable Care Act um, persuade folks in the Senate uh, as well as the uh, House of Representatives not to go forward with this uh, for Medicaid. Since its inception in 1965, Medicaid has always been open-ended. The states put up a portion, and then the federal government guarantees that it will put up a portion uh, to make a dollar a dollar. This would would gut that. Um, And think about that. Since 1965, um, folks have been dependent on Medicaid, and this would just uh, turn things right upside down, Joyce. Oh, it would. And just as you said, that... uh that Medicaid law grant, oh, my God, I don't know how that would go down. We all have to realize the impact of these things and call our senator, call our congressman, or things just happen. You know, if you don't get involved, things just happen. And I agree. We have to do We have to do everything we can uh, to stop that from happening. Uh, and it would also, as you you know, it would also impact people that have health insurance that receive that as a result of the uh, Medicaid expansion from the Affordable Care Act. Correct. A large part of the uh, CBO's uh, projection on uh, the first version of, of uh, the bill that passed the House was that about 24 million people would lose health care coverage. And a large portion of that 24 million would be people who today rely on Medicaid. Unbelievable. Unbelievable. We are in, in, yeah, very, uh, um, shall I say, interesting times. But you are so correct. I mean, we urge, um, yeah, younger families can be very busy. But we say to them, you've got to make that call today because everything that your child has today was there because parents and self-advocates before you fought. And now it's your chance or opportunity or maybe it's your obligation uh, to get out front and make sure that we can preserve what we have and keep improving upon that. Um, You don't do that by sitting on the couch, watching a movie, and eating popcorn. Right. Isn't that the truth? You know, um, I wanted to also talk for a minute uh, Marcia, about the R word and bullying uh, people with intellectual disabilities. You know, how did that come about that uh, we had this movement to end the R word? Um, that was actually uh, um, started by uh, the Kennedy family, and it just 
took off across the intellectual disability community. Uh, I think nearly every state now has even changed their state statutes uh, to no longer uh, use the, the R word. Um, in the vernacular, it became, as you know, uh, something that people would use in um, teasing and bullying and humiliating uh, others. And a movement simply among family members uh, began to say, uh-uh, uh, don't like the way the word is being used, and we've got to change this. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, I share your passion about bullying. Um, gotta say, some of what children and adults uh, with disabilities endure—it's—it's um, it's not just the stares that you might get in the grocery store, uh, but so much more so the despicable attitude. Um, I don't know where children pick this up. Because we see it in elementary school. Yeah, I know. Um, it, it's so hor- horrible. Kids with disabilities are bullied more than any other group. And when you go home, it doesn't stop because there's Facebook, Twitter, Snapchat, uh, you know, instant messaging, texting. And some of the things people say are horrible. Absolutely horrible. And I would tell any parent listening right now, be careful what you say because it can be misconstrued by your child and it can be then said at school. And, and it's so it's hurtful. acceptable, right. It's very hurtful. And there are kids with disabilities that have committed suicide or died by suicide, I should say, as a result of this. So, you know, it's serious. And sadly, uh, many young children with intellectual disabilities are just brutally bullied. So, you know, please think about that. Please think about it because it is a terrible thing. I think it's one of our uh, remaining large horizons in, in terms of work. Um, because it's all about the attitude, not the attitude of the person with disabilities, the attitude of the rest of the community. And I've got to say, Joyce, I think it's a small part of the community, um, but how much damage uh, it, it can do mm-hmm. when uh, our, our hearts and our minds um, aren't open to mm-hmm. acceptance for all. As I said earlier, uh, here at Achieva, we believe that disability, it's a dis- distinction, but it's a distinction that makes no difference. Mm-hmm. At least it yes. should not I make agree. any difference. And I so agree. you just you keep working at it, you know? So here you are, Marcia. You'll be retiring at the end of the year. As you move on, you know, I wanted to ask you, what, what do you hope your legacy will be? Oh, <laughs> I'm not much, uh, one to, to much think about uh, legacy. Um, I mean, the opportunity to work with extraordinary volunteers, trustees, committee members, and, and I cannot say enough about my coworkers. I mean, um, someone asked me recently uh, to what would you attribute some of your success, and it's, it's simply... Um, you know, I've always, if I have one talent, it is um, hiring, uh, encouraging, supporting uh, the most extraordinary coworkers you could ever work with. And uh, success sort of breeds success when you have these extraordinary teams with which you're working. Oh, no doubt about it. It's, uh, you know, there's a person, he was the CEO of a large technology company, and he used to always say, all of your assets leave the company at 5 o'clock. And that is so true because people are your greatest assets at the company. And particularly in a field such as ours, I mean, we are a people-to-people business. That's to say, we don't make widgets. Uh, we don't mm-hmm. put together nuts and bolts. Um, 
I believe it's, it's about 91% of our total expenditures in a year uh, here at Achieva are um, employee-related, uh, benefit-related, uh, or consultation. That's much higher than any other industry you're going to find. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. Uh, so it's all about having the right people in the right places with the right attitude and great enthusiasm. And in that sense, one, one, uh, the, the success is, is the success of everyone involved. Yes, I so agree with you. Well, Marcia, as you let us know, we're not going to lose you. Reminds me of Senator Harkin when he said, I'm uh-huh. retiring, but I'm not retiring from working in this field. So yes. what are your plans? What are your plans now when you leave? I have always volunteered, Joyce. Um, <clears throat> I think you know I've been on um, quite a number of uh, national boards of directors, many, many state boards of directors, um, and, and I want to uh, continue to be more involved locally um, in issues affecting people with disabilities. Um, I've already been invited uh, to uh, join one board, a board that you know quite well, by the way, um, and um, I have also had conversations with folks um, in, in two other organizations. I want to volunteer. I want to remain, uh, I have to remain uh, engaged in, in this extraordinary field that has been such an important part of my life. And uh, so I'm not one for, oh, you know, I'm going to go to Europe for six months or something. No, I'm going to keep <laughs> engaged and keep my, my finger in the pot on uh, the issues that have been so important to me. Well, thank God for that. Because, you know, we need you, we need your wisdom, we need your advocacy, because as you well know, uh, we have a long way to go, and you are so bright and so knowledgeable, and you can help us so much. So, you know, I'm just so happy to hear you say that, uh, Marcia, because I, for one, will be calling you. So <laughs> you're not getting away from us. You are not. Uh, thank you, thank you. That's music to my ears. Well, Marcia, this next question, I'm sorry, what were you going to say? I was going to say, um, our uh, boards of trustees um, have engaged a uh, search consultant out of Washington, D.C., who is going to help them. In fact, they've already begun uh, through the process. This will be uh, national search. And as I said to the consultant just last week, um, my particular goal for her is... uh, that she and her firm find somebody who is um, going to be much better at this job than I have ever been. So that's mm, uh, be hard to do <laughs> there, Marcia. <laughs> that's her challenge. And you will be there until the end of the year, is that correct? Yes, yes, I will be. And I assume if they need you on a consultative basis that you would be there for them. I have said to... Uh, the, the Board of Trustees here, I will be with you for as long as the organization needs me. Absolutely. Now, that'll be a long time because, as I said, <laughs> it's hard. You know, I wish I did not have to say that 70% of people with disabilities are not even counted in the workforce. And, and friends of mine who, who are executives at different companies have shared with me that once 503 the new rules were finalized, that mm-hmm. they would be at meetings with other federal contractors, and they were absolutely frantic and, and afraid about this initiative of, you know, bringing aboard people with disabilities and because of all the myths that they think. And, you know, that is so sad. We, we have a new product called iDisability, and mm-hmm. it is uh, an e-based training program. And I'm hoping that as uh, more companies purchase this, that I will be able to break down some of those myths because, to me, we've got to get that education so that we can get people on board. I mean, as I said, it's so sad to say that because I'll think to myself, Why? Why is that? Um, and it's really hard to understand. And, you know, the companies who 
have embraced the hiring of people with disabilities, <clears throat> I mean, we need those companies to talk with other companies. Um, this is a peer-to-peer thing. And you know, of course, uh, many of the national companies that have uh, made the deep dive and the commitment to hiring people with disabilities. Uh, just uh, locally, um, actually in uh, states of Indiana, Ohio, Pennsylvania, uh, a large um, retail grocery uh, store, Giant Eagle, made this commitment a number of years ago to hire people with disabilities, and uh, uh, they just received a national award from the Ark of the United States for the employment of people with disabilities. I wish we could find more and more and more uh, companies, as well as the local grocery store around the corner, uh, Mm -hmm. to to make this commitment. And when you hear employers who are employing um, a a large percentage of the workforce uh, being persons with disabilities, um, I want them to sing. I want them to tell their story so that these uh, employers uh, about which you just spoke who uh, are afraid, I'm not sure what they're afraid of. We have had, I will say, some uh, frivolous um, ADA litigation, and it always seems that that's what makes the uh, the newspaper headlines. Um, Employers should not fear. That is so, so minor as compared with, uh, you know better than I, um, the uh, employee who will make it in every day, work their heart out every day for the good of the company, and that's the vast majority of people with disabilities. As I said, once you start chipping away at some of the disincentives that have been there through pool trust, through the ABLE Act, I think that you have, I know that you have many more people with disabilities who are willing to step into the workforce. And now we've got to get the employer into this going in, in a bigger and bigger way. Yes, um, and it, I agree with you about the Shapiras. I must say, Highmark has been spectacular yes. uh, in hiring people. And I told that to the CEO, David Holmberg. I said, you know what it takes, just like David Shapira talking to other businesses. You know, Mm -hmm. that's what we need. Ted Kennedy Jr. told me once, the only way you'll change things, Joyce, is not you, but CEOs of one company talking to another company. And that other company needs to be people that aren't doing anything yet. And I I so believe that. I I really do. I feel that's what would make the difference. Absolutely, Mm peer-to-peer. And if anybody I know could get that really humming <laughs> across this country uh, and internationally, that would be Joyce Bender. <laughs> oh, well, I'll tell you what. Um, I, I, as I said, that's what it takes. That is what it takes. So, Marsha, I do not know how you're going to answer this next question because you have done so much already uh, throughout your life. But uh, my question is, what would you consider your greatest accomplishment? Oh, wow. Um, Certainly and foremost, my um, husband and and my sons have been the cornerstone and and, and the rock that uh, have allowed me to do uh, things that I wanted to do professionally. But professionally, I probably just being a part of these last 40 years and hopefully providing uh, some leadership uh, nationally at the state level and and locally as we continue to make real life in the real world in all of our communities the norm for people with disabilities. Um, Again, I I sometimes sit back and I just think, in what what other career could one have seen such dramatic change in really the, the blink of an eye um, and, and affecting the lives of um, people who are so important uh, 
to me and to you. Um, so it's really, I don't think it's so much an accomplishment, but, but uh, the privilege of having been in a, part, a part of this and, and looking forward to continuing to be a part of it. Well, Marcia, before I ask you the last question, I just want to say once again, I want to personally thank you for all these years of fighting for people with disabilities and service. You know, I have always admired you, and of course I consider you a friend, uh, but, but I want to uh, formally thank you and to all of our listeners. Remember, all these shows are archived at BenderConsult.com and voiceamerica.com and can be downloaded from iTunes. And just as a special memory for her, I hope you do that um, because, you know, this will be your way of hearing her share everything she's done. And as I said, uh, Marcia, I so appreciate everything you've done. Oh, thank you, Joyce. And I feel... And- um, and I won't let you be a go. friend. <laughs> so, Marcia, what message would you like to leave with our listeners today? Only one message. Joyce, you make it tough. Uh, it probably would be six words. Carry on. Carry on. Carry on. Amen to that. Isn't that the truth? we got to keep moving forward. Can't look back, can't be in the present. We've got to keep moving forward. Um, And our quote today is from someone I know Marcia loves, and that would be Tony Coelho, who Uh. said, work gives us dignity. And isn't that the truth? Work gives us dignity. Well, I hope you all join me next week. When our guest is Molly McCauley Brown, an author, and guess what she wrote about? She wrote about what people with epilepsy endured uh, throughout history also. Sadly, many similarities, but on the other hand, here I am moving forward, so um, I believe that's changing also. But I will look forward to talking to you next week. This is Joyce Bender. America's Voice, where disability matters at voiceamerica.com. Voice America would like to thank you for tuning in. Please join us next Tuesday at 11 a.m. Pacific Time for another installment of Disability Matters right here on the Internet Leader and Talk Radio, voiceamerica.com.